0: Kathy and I love to walk in the woods and in the, uh, along the country roads by our home. One day we were walking down the street, and it was uh, winter time, and we were just kind of uh, walking along, and in the distance, we could hear a very faint sound. Rap, rap, rap. Kind of stopped and thought, what, what is that? Saw a house in the distance, an old abandoned house and we thought you know we haven't walked over there let's go check it out so we walked down the the walkway to this old abandoned house and the sound got louder as we got closer to it rap rap rap. got up to the front door and we could really hear it loudly you know the door just kind of opened by itself as we walked up there the gravity of the 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 porch eh, opened up this dark house and we could hear it, rap, rap, rap. It was coming from upstairs. <laughs> Kathy's like, I ain't going up there. <laughs> well, I'll go check it out. And come on. So we went up together. We go upstairs. And it's, it's really loud, rap, rap, rap. And then we finally we walk, turn the corner into this bedroom. It's coming from this closet. Go to the closet, rap. Wrap, wrap, open the door. Guess what was there? Wrapping paper. <laughs> Rex can't be the only one with bad jokes. Okay, that didn't happen. But here's a story that did. That's kind of a, a Yuletide, you know, story. I thought about it yesterday as I was wrapping some presents, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to share the rap, rap, rap joke. <laughs> okay, maybe I shouldn't have. <laughs> well anyway, this is true. Several years ago, uh, I guess quite a few years ago now, Kathy and I had some Russian missionaries stay with us in our home. And they talked to us about some of the experiences that they'd had. These are uh, Americans who who lived in Russia for quite a few years, and one of the things that, that they did that was their responsibility was to host evangelists that would come through and that would share the word with, uh, with the Russians. Well, they were a part of a conference in which it was uh, they weren't the only ones who were leaders there. There was another group that was much more on the charismatic side of things, and so this, um, this evangelist was very charismatic, and some of his bible teaching wasn't you know right on the money, and he was very you know flamboyant and 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 excited about uh, about what he was sharing, but he didn't speak russian and so of course he had a translator, and the translator was not all that enthusiastic, so it was quite a difference between them and so the uh uh the the enthusiastic evangelist would say. You know, everybody, I want you to give the Holy Spirit a hand. Well, the translator translated that literally. And the people are looking at this guy like, give him what? And then the, the evangelist says, I want you to tell the Holy Spirit something. I want you to tell him, yes! Yes! And the translator just kind of standing there, and, and you know, in Russia, in Russian, the word "yes" is "da," And so the translator just stands there and goes, "Da." <laughs> the evangelist goes, "Yes." <laughs> "Da." There was such a disconnect. Between <laughs> the passion of this evangelist and the lack of passion in the translator, so obviously the people in the pews weren't making the connection. By contrast, I had the privilege of teaching at a pastor's conference in Russia years ago, and I had a translator named Vladimir. Vladimir spoke English so well, I thought he was American when I first met him. And uh, come to find out he's from, he was from um, Moldova. But his Russian and his English were just immaculate, both were fantastic. And so it was wonderful to be able to share with the congregation there or with the pastors who were there, because Vladimir didn't just translate my words, he translated me. When my voice would go up, his voice would go up. When my voice would go down, his voice would go down. When I would gesture, he would gesture. It was just a mirror image, but in Russian. And you could tell the people connected uh, eyes welled up with tears, the hall filled with laughter, and the quiet moments that were supposed to be quiet were quiet, and there was connection because I had a translator who translated not just the words but translated me. I've never forgotten that moment of or, or that that experience of two people or two me and a group of people who otherwise could never have connected. I mean, if I hadn't had Vladimir, there would have been no connection other than being able to say yes, no, hello, goodbye, and where's the bathroom? Other than that, I don't have Russian, any Russian at all. But with Vladimir, I had the whole language at my disposal. I thought about that because I gained a new perspective of Christmas as I considered Vladimir as my interpreter because I wondered in a much grander sense if God the Father felt a similar satisfaction when Jesus stood and translated the message of holiness through the means of humanity, through the means of his own flesh and blood. In the incarnation, Jesus became a translator of God to men, a perfect translator. In the Old Testament, of course, when God appeared to people, when God appeared to men and women, without exception, they hit the deck in in a coil of shame and terror. But when Jesus came, he was so much one of us that many people didn't even recognize that he was God in the flesh. His translation was that good. The barrier of sin Jesus Christ bridged by being both God and man, and he bridged that together through his life, through his death on the cross, and through his resurrection. Jesus translated the Father to us. He taught us a lot of things in that, but one of the things he taught us through the incarnation was a message that I'd like for us to look at from the perspective not of Matthew or Luke, typically is what we look at when we look at Christmas but from the perspective of Paul. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Philippians. And just for this morning, let's take a few verses from this wonderful second chapter, where we have the Christmas story from Paul's perspective, the Apostle Paul. I read in one of Philip Yancey's books, he described a story about when Queen Elizabeth II visited America on one of her trips. She brought with her 4,000 pounds of luggage, including two outfits for every occasion, a mourning outfit in case someone died, 40 pints of plasma, white kid, a white kid leather toilet seat cover. She brought her own hairdresser, two valets, and a host of other attendants. This brief visit of royalty to a, to a foreign country cost $20 million. Think about that. In stark contrast, when the king of heaven visited earth, um, he was not born in a big city. He was born in little backwater Bethlehem. He wasn't born in a palace with the best doctors and physicians in attendance. He was born in a stable with livestock looking on. You almost wonder what Joseph and Mary must have been thinking. Here, they've traveled for at least 60 miles, depending on the route that they took, but if they took the most direct route from Nazareth, it would have been 60 miles over hard terrain in her final trimester of pregnancy. And God clearly led them to Bethlehem. They get there, and there's nowhere to stay. God's grand sovereign plan, he predicted. Bethlehem, could it have not also provided a place for them to stay? And yet the place he provided was such such humble means. They stayed out back, as it were, in the barn. And rather than Jesus being in a comfortable bed, he was in a manger or in a in a feed trough. If the king or the queen of the land had come, we would have Rolled out the red carpet, we would have put made room for them in the best five-star five-star hotel or motel. But Jesus had a one-star, you might say, motel, and God had to provide that star. Well, Philippians chapter two, let's—it's uh, hard to just pick a few verses here because the whole context is wonderful. But let's begin at verse five. and read the Christmas story and its application from Paul's perspective. Paul wrote, "'Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, "'who, although he existed in the form of God, "'did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, "'but emptied himself, "'taking the form of a bondservant "'and being made in the likeness of men.'" Paul writes he emptied himself. The New International Version says he made himself nothing. King James translated it, he made himself of no reputation. The word literally means to remove the privileges or the prerogatives that your rank gives you. Jesus was ranked as God, but he didn't pull rank. He was God, but he didn't come. Expecting that same that all the privileges of God, but instead we're told He emptied Himself. Theologians call this the kenosis. It's a word in the Greek that that is from the idea of, of emptying yourself or setting aside privileges that are yours, but you're choosing not to not to exercise them. It'd be like uh, uh, some wonderful baseball player deciding to uh, to bat left-handed, as it were, that you're intentionally setting aside your, your ability in order to connect and to relate. This is what Christ did. Even though Jesus was God, he didn't pull rank. Instead, being in the form of God, he also took on the form of a servant, of a bondservant. I love it when you go to the Church of Nativity today in Bethlehem. The, uh, the church itself is um, the entrance to the church. You can see there's a door that used to be that's pretty well bricked up, and then there's just a small door. Initially, they, they bricked up the door uh, so that people couldn't ride their horses in to keep, the, uh, uh, to keep the sanctity of the place. But now the door is so small that you can't go in without bowing. And there's a a tradition that says that the reason that that the door is so low is because everyone enters with humility. You have to bow to get in. This is how Jesus entered the world, incredibly humbly. Not born in a great palace, but born out back in the barn and placed in a feed trough. I read a story that is pretty gripping. It's brief, but it's uh, it's powerful in in its sadness, but also in its illustration. One of the mo- during one of the most not uh, horrible Nazi persecutions of the Jews in Poland during the Second World War. One morning, there was an old Jewish cemetery keeper who came into the cemetery and found that that night a woman had crawled into an open grave and had there given birth and then she died. When he found the child the next morning, he said to others, he said, quote, this must be the Messiah, for only the Messiah could choose to be born in a grave. Well, of course, we know it wasn't the Messiah, but I was struck by those words because there is a, there is something in his words that are true. Only a God who loves us at as our God loves us, would choose to enter the world in a painful place, to take on our pain, to take it upon himself. Fifteen centuries ago, the great theologian Augustine tried to capture the mystery of Christmas, or the mystery of the Incarnation. Listen to, his, to a poem that he wrote. This is a wonderful contrasts. Augustine wrote this. He said of Jesus, Maker of the sun, he is made under the sun. In the father he remains, from his mother he goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. Man's maker was made that he, the bread, might hunger, the fountain, thirst, the light, sleep, the way, be tired on its journey, that truth might be accused of false witness, that the teacher, be beaten with whips the foundation be suspended on wood and that strength might grow weak that the healer might be wounded that life might die you see the incarnation of jesus as paul records it here in philippians and as people have thought about it all through the years is something we never would have chosen for christ And yet, it was essential that he chose it for us, that he came not pulling rank as God, but he emptied himself. He set that aside and became a servant, being made in the likeness of people, in the likeness of men. And look at that. Not only did he humble himself to take on the form of a servant, but Paul continues, verse 8, he says, Being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I love that phrase, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. If you think of that just all by itself, there's great application there because obedience is very humbling. I don't know if you've, when you've had the moments in your life that you've either knee-jerk reaction, chosen to obey, or in many cases, knee-jerk reaction, we choose to disobey. But in those moments where we actually don't have a knee-jerk reaction, but we choose, and we're choosing to obey or disobey, to have this this choice of obedience – requires humbling ourselves because it means we're going to do the will of someone else and not our own will. Jesus showed us that obedience to the Father requires humbling ourselves. Uh, When he died on the cross, of course, he took the sins of humanity. He took your sins, all of them, my sins, all of them, and he paid for them. And by faith in Christ, the Scripture tells us our sins are forgiven. Because Jesus was willing to be obedient to the point of death, and not just death, but death on a cross, the worst kind of death, or or as it it says there, you may have a marginal reading there that says not just death on a cross, but death of a cross, meaning a cross-like death, the, the worst possible death that a human could experience, Jesus took. So think about that. Christ came. From the, the glory and worship of the angels, from eternity past, he was in, in the presence and in, the, in fellowship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And in the wise counsel of God before the foundations of the earth, Jesus God's plan for Jesus or for his son was that he would come and humble himself and eternal God would now be joined with eternal humanity or humanity would now become uh, eternally joined with Jesus in the, in the form of a servant. He humbled himself, not just by becoming human, by, but by becoming obedient to the point of death, and even death on a cross, a death that he didn't deserve, so it was unjust. So the humility, if you think about it, Jesus went from the highest place literally to the very lowest place possible because he loves us, because of his love. And because Jesus was willing to be obedient to that point, look at verse 9. From the very lowest place, Paul writes, for this reason also God exalted him and bestowed on him The name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Keep your finger there in Philippians and turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 45. Paul is quoting Isaiah, and it's a marvelous context. Isaiah 45 at the very end of the chapter, just before chapter 46. Isaiah 45, starting in verse 22. Isaiah is quoting the Lord, and he says this, Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness, and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who were angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory." What great verses. What, what a great promise. This is the context that Paul is quoting, and notice, this is the Lord speaking. And so when it talks about every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. I am God, and there is no other. Only in the Lord are righteousness and salvation. When we turn back to Philippians two and realize that at the name of Jesus, Philippians two ten, every knee will bow. Once again, Jesus is uh, Paul is saying of Jesus. Just because he is uh, God and he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, he didn't give away his his deity. It was joined with humanity, because in the future, every knee will bow. Jesus Christ is still God, even though he is now also a man. And we're told that every knee, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. One day, every person in this room will say with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. One person, one day, every person on the planet throughout history will say Jesus is Lord, and they'll say it for one of two reasons, and every knee will bow, and for one of two reasons, either because they are made to bow, they are made to take a knee and to admit what is true, Jesus is Lord, or because they have chosen to make that, uh, to have that belief before they die after we die the knee we are forced to take a knee and to admit jesus is lord but if we make that decision before we die then afterwards we're saying it with joy rather than terror well all of this has an application which we've skipped because of the illustration but now that we have the illustration of jesus Look back now at verse 3 in Philippians 2, at the application. Philippians 2, verse 3, Paul writes, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. And then he gives the illustration of Jesus Christ who did that very thing. <coughs> he didn't look out for his own personal interest. Even though he was in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, just like Jesus, who came and lived a humble life, born a humble birth, died a humble death, a death of humiliation, not just humility. But we're also told that because of what happened with Christ being so humiliated, that God the Father would one day exalt him and bestow on him the name that's above every name. Why should we do nothing, and notice that word, nothing, from selfishness or empty conceit? Why should we have humble minds and look out for the interests of others? Because Jesus Christ, God himself, did that. Instead, he became a servant. Now, we're going to see this Christmas, more than likely, family. And here's where the application of this text comes in and makes it tough because do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit not looking out for your own personal interests but for the interest of others emptying yourself is never more of a of a reality and a challenge when you're around those who make it <laughs> a challenge to empty yourself in such a context as we're going to have the opportunity over the next couple of weeks. And to be humble, to be a servant, to be, to be kind and gracious is going to be like Jesus Christ. We just finished 1 Peter, and you remember, I think it was even in the last time around as we read from 1 Peter, maybe it was the time before last, where Peter wrote these words, and just let me read them to you. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Does that sound familiar? We just read that, didn't we? Jesus Christ himself, Philippians 2, being found in appearance as man, humbled himself Obedient to the point of death, death on a cross, for this reason God highly exalted him. It's the same thing as Peter taught us in First Peter. That the humility that God requires of us is, is done almost as an investment, you might say, into his glory and to when it's the proper time that God will exalt us. It's a wonderful, wonderful hope. Jesus came and became our translator. He emptied himself that we might be made whole. What a wonderful truth. Can you remember the very last time that God showed up unannounced in your life? I mean, Christmas, he was expected, but at the same time, it was quite a shock for, for those who experienced it. Think about the shepherds out in the field, that was a shock. You think about the last time God showed up unannounced in your life. Well, it may have happened before this, but I remember about this time last year. In fact, it was almost exactly this time last year that happened to me. I was headed to the mall to pick up some last-minute Christmas gifts, which is usually the time that Christmas gifts happen, is last minute. And it was terrible weather. Um almost icy. It was sleeting. It was cold. It was rainy. And uh, the rest of the traffic around me hadn't really gotten into the Christmas spirit yet. (laughs) A lot of people uh, hadn't gotten their gifts yet, I guess. So I was on my way to the mall, and it was literally bumper-to-bumper traffic, and it was people were honking, and they were upset. And there was something going on way up ahead at the, at the light to where all traffic was stopped. So literally, we were just all stopped. And I even put the car in park. And I was just kind of sitting there, you know, enjoying the heat of the car, but looking outside, and it was just bleh, just a bleak, dismal day. And I thought, you know, and something triggered in my mind that I had purchased a couple of years ago of two or three songs from one of uh, Celine Dion's albums where she sung uh, about some Christmas songs. And I love on iTunes, you can just pick the songs you want. You don't have to like buy a whole album like we did in yesteryear, you can just pick the songs you want. Well, I've picked some of the songs off her album that dealt with the Lord. And so I started playing some of those songs, and all of a sudden, it happened. God showed up in the car. I don't know if you can think back to moments in your life where the presence of God was so overwhelming. Whether you're in a worship service or whether you're with uh, someone else or whether you're, like I was, literally, by myself. It was, it was a moment of forced solitude. And she was singing, Celine Dion was singing, I don't know if she's a believer or not, but boy, she sure sounds like she is as she's singing this song. Listen to just a little bit of this. Well, he goes on, and I'm telling you, by the time she's done and singing the, the, the great theology that resonates with all of our hearts, uh, I don't, and, I, and I was, it was a perfect setup for me, for my spiritual life at that moment, because I don't know that particular year, last year, whether it's the, the painful memories that the holidays usually resurrect, and, and family memories, Maybe it was also the challenge of the struggle of starting my own business and everything that was associated with that. Or maybe it was simply just the brief moment at a red light, and I had nowhere to go but up. Suddenly, the truth of these lyrics, fall on your knees, hear the angel voices. O oh, night divine, when Christ was born. They worked their way from my ears to my heart, and like I said, I sensed the overwhelming presence of God. And it was an unguarded moment. It was, it was unplanned, it was unexpected, and it was desperately needed. And one of the things that, that I learned in that moment was that when God shows up in your life, it solves everything. When you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence, it doesn't, um, it doesn't remove all the problems, but it gives you a perspective on them, that they're very small compared to the greatness of God. And he gives us these brief moments, I think, to give us a little uh, foretaste of glory divine. Sometimes the struggles that we carry with us all throughout the year become like white noise in our spiritual lives. We're so used to hearing them that it distracts us from the goodness and the greatness of God to where, like the shepherds out in the Bethlehem field, he's got to show up in a grand way to get your attention, to let you know that there is something greater going on than the pain of of your life. Because God showed up (laughs) My car became sort of a sanctuary, and it was wonderful. It made me think of Christmas because it was true not only of the shepherds, but it's true also for us, that when Jesus showed up, he didn't solve all problems in that moment. but, But his overwhelming presence gave the emotional, you might say, encouragement that everything is under control. I hope that you will – I don't know, this sort of sounds – there's a lot of baggage that goes along with uh, our charismatic brothers and sisters that isn't necessarily biblical. But I think sometimes we throw out the baby with the bathwater, because heaven (laughs) is going to be pretty emotional. Heaven is going to be pretty experiential, and it's going to be very wonderful as we are in the presence of God. Our worship time in heaven is probably not going to look a lot like our worship time here, which I say to our shame as conservative evangelicals. We have a lot to learn from our charismatic brothers and sisters in that regard. All of that to say, if God shows up in some way in your life emotionally, That's that's a gift. That's a gift. Because what he's doing is giving you a little foretaste of where it's all going. Because God showed up that day outside the Bethlehem field, the great promise was given, was fulfilled, that to you is born today a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the promise that we have as well. Bethlehem's irony is that Jesus showed us that the way up is down, that is, that the way to be exalted in the eyes of God is to be humble in the eyes of people. That's what Jesus did. This is what Paul is urging us to do as well as we humble ourselves just like Jesus. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you so much for the blessing of Christmas time. Not just for the uh, the break from routine and the forced rest and relaxation which in of itself is a blessing. But especially Lord for the moments that we get to come around again to this great great truth of the incarnation which we've read about in Paul's letter Of The great love of God, of your love, and the great humility and obedience of the Son, being willing to be not only born in such humble means and lived a life of rejection and a death of humiliation, but to rise again and to give us uh, a hint, a glimmer of our own future that we also can, like Christ, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt us in proper time. Father, would you bless us, each one, with um, an experience of your presence, not just some emotional experience like I had that day in the car, which was very irregular, but a time in the Word, a time of worship even a brief moment while singing a carol or by seeing the joy of a child or in the joy of serving someone else for the pure motive of God's glory. Would you be glorified? Would you give us encouragement? And would you remind us that when Jesus shows up, all problems will be solved? We look forward to that, and we pray in his name. Amen.